This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back, and here we go with part two of our interview with Lon Simmons, legendary Bay Area broadcaster. What's it like to be the fourth Frick Award winner and go into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, I'll tell you, there's a strange thing about that. Originally, the way they they uh, chose it was they had uh, a, a group of, of uh, people, just a committee that, that voted for it. But that year, they decided that they'd have the fans participate in the voting. And they had the fans participate by voting for uh, voting online for their for their choice, and so the first top three in that in that voting were put together with seven people named by the committee, so that there were ten people to be considered for the Ford Rick Award on that year, rather than just the committee settling on one name. Well, the thing was that. The San Francisco area uh, got together, and Joan Ryan, uh, who was one of my greatest supporters, and she wrote several columns about uh, that I should be in there. And they, they, the San Francisco fans, with 35,000 people or 30,000 votes were 35,000 votes were put in, and that got somebody's attention when it went back to the. Committee, and I didn't have to. You didn't have to have many votes to make the number one job. You didn't have to be voted number one by that many people. So uh, uh, the fact that I had gotten all those votes from the public, and uh, then I got voted, and they never told you who voted for you or how many votes you got, but that was probably the reason. But it was also the reason that I went in because before. Before that vote was taken, I said that I didn't believe I deserved to be in that class of the announcers that I knew, and that if I were voted in by that committee, I would probably uh, refuse it. And I told uh, a couple of, I told Vin Scully, who was a member of that committee, and I told Joe Graziola, he told don't vote for me in that because I don't think I deserve to be in there. And uh, that didn't mean that they weren't going to vote for me, but but I just told them that I didn't think they should. Well, when the fans voted, as I said at the at the Hall of Fame when I talked, that I had I didn't consider myself worthy for it. But if that many fans voted, or, or I got that many votes, that obviously I I had approved uh, enough. Of, and to enough people that that they they wanted me to have it, but I certainly wasn't going to insult them by saying no, I wouldn't take it. So I took it, and also it helped the fact that uh, that uh, it was uh, really the first time that that uh, a local announcer had been named to get the get the award, even though Rust and Scully had both been voted in. They had done. Uh, nationwide work in the in the uh, in the East with the Dodgers and the Giants, and but I was the first one that uh, didn't have any uh, experience doing uh, network uh, 
broadcasting. I, I did local broadcasting, and and it was a good thing for broadcast. After that, several announcers that have been made had been the local announcers. Yeah. One last question. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like uh, Denny Matthews in Kansas City or Dave Niehaus in Seattle, folks like that. Yeah. You, you've sort of paved the way for yeah, well, I, I felt that that, that was uh, another reason to go in, as I thought over, that that, uh, that it did open it up for people who were doing a, a broadcast. Because, you know, the, the, you, doing all the, the series games and doing uh, all the, the, uh, uh, the uh, broadcasts and not broadcasting for one team. In fact, they, the, the, now the... The list of, of necessaries uh, put in there that you have to you have to have uh, announced a certain length of time for one team to get it, and so that's the difference than it was before because the people that that were voted in obviously had been with teams for a long time, but basically they were they were picked up also for what they did on their national uh, national broadcast. But now it listed in there that you have to be have announced for the same team for a certain length of time to qualify. What was your favorite moment of broadcasting? The Winter Olympics in 1960. I broadcast. We had the uh, we had the right uh, Franklin Muley, who had been our producer in, in baseball and football, and later on owned the Warriors. He got the rights to. To the English broadcast uh, around the world, so that you could. We went there and we broadcast all the events, and we did a, a, a fifteen-minute or half-hour show afterwards, recapping it all, and that was all made available to people who wanted it. Well, we broadcast all the events, and and I broadcast the play, play and. Uh, um, Gordy Solzhaw did the color. He had uh, he had played hockey in college, and so they. Uh, 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 when I broadcast those, it was the most exciting game because they beat the Russians for the first time ever, and they and they had to win the next game to win the the championship, and they did. So that was together two things that they did first and the 1980 team did the same thing but they act like they don't say anything about the 1960 team but they did it first and that was my that was my greatest experience broadcast I've never been in one where the crowd was so unbelievable and, and the game was too so did you have a favorite broadcaster did I well uh, Frank Bull used to I lived in Southern California and we had uh, only Pacific Coast League, and, and uh, uh, I didn't have much chance of hearing any of the national announcers. And so the, Frank Bull was the guy who uh, uh, I listened to do the football, and uh, I copied him, I guess, when I eventually did football because I, I really, uh, I really admired him. But as far as the national announcers are concerned, I didn't get much of a chance to to. Uh, hear any of them. we got a pretty good announcer here in Chicago doing Cubs games. I know you're familiar with Pat Hughes. Yes, he is. He is excellent. And he's a wonderful guy, too. He said a remarkable thing on on some uh, CDs and 
DVDs that he's done uh, about past players and past announcers and such. He's, he's from the Bay Area as far as that goes. He's in San Francisco area, but he's, he's uh, an outstanding, outstanding young man. He goes from working with Bob Euchre to uh, Ron Santa. That's quite a transition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sure is. Euchre is a Euchre is a package. I remember you know, when uh, in spring training, I used to see him all the time because uh, they were training down there, and they were they're playing their games out at the uh, uh, out at the uh, place where the elderly homes and. There were ambulances there all the time, and Euchre said on the broadcast, he said, the average age here at Sun City is deceased. <laughs> Does it go without saying that Willie Mays is the best ball player you ever saw? Yes, uh, and I say I say it with that uh, figure that, that I ever saw. I, the, the only ones that I can rate are the ones that I saw play, and I can say that they're the best. I've ever seen, and then uh, I would say that Willie Mays is the best player I've ever seen, and uh, Barry Bonds is probably the best hitter I've ever seen. But those those were the players that I saw. I didn't see uh, I didn't see Gehrig or Ruth or or uh, uh, Mantle or anybody like that play every day, or Williams, uh, and and they were all great. Great players and great hitters, but as far as someone that I could say that I'd seen play and who I thought was the best, Mays, uh, hands down is the best I ever saw. Because he, not only did he play the game, but he knew the game and he knew the odds and he, and he, he had one game that he would have thrown a runner out at every base against the Dodgers. But uh, his throw into second base, uh, Tito Fuentes couldn't handle it, and he dropped the ball, and, and the runner was safe. But he threw out. He uh, Drysdale was on first, uh, got a base hit, a single, and rounded first, and Mays threw behind him and got him out. And uh, and then uh, uh, two others, one going to third base, he threw out a third base. And Maury Wills, I think it was, was coming home, and he threw him out at the plate. And he would have had thrown out a runner at every base had Cheeto been able to make the tag on the runner coming into second place, which is pretty unique. <laughs> I don't think that's ever come close to being done. And uh, and the other things that he did, I saw him score from first at least twice on singles. And... Uh, uh, I saw him make catches, uh, over close to the right field foul line when, uh, the ball was lost in the sun by the right fielder. I, uh, he, think about Willie, he could strike out four times in the game, as I said before, and still do something that the fans would say, man, we got to see Willie Mays today because he always did something. And he was aware of what he had to do, uh, and he was, anticipating what he had to do. And and if you watched with Mays, when the ball got by the catcher, as soon as it got by, he he was gone to the next base. You watch most of the runners now, the ball gets by the catcher. They're not in movement until the ball has got all the way to the backstop. 
but he he was so good at uh, he would run from first to third and get there and be looking over his shoulder trying to draw the throw from the outfielder so the hitter could go to second base. So he he performed so many things it was so exciting to watch him play it was just unbelievable. How did Willie feel when Joe DiMaggio would make them announce him as the greatest living ball player? Was there some animosity well, between those two, well, or what was going no, on? No, Willie never paid attention to that. Willie didn't pay attention to, to hardly anything anybody said about whether good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, Jackie Robinson wanted Willie to be much more talkative about uh, the issue of blacks in baseball or or. Uh, in general, but Willie said, "I'm not. That's not me. That's not my style. I'm gonna. I'm gonna attract him by play." And he was in the minor league. First year in the minor league, because he was being called all sorts of names. And the players said, "Man, how can you take this?" What he said, "Well, just give me a couple of weeks." Well, in a couple of weeks, he was hitting like 470. And hey, Willie, man, you're a man, and all that. <laughs> So that's how he that's how he cleared prejudice. And when when he wasn't uh, when uh, they didn't want him at uh, one area in in Palm in uh, San Francisco when he was going to buy a, a home, he said, "Well, that's all right. I don't want to live in a place where people don't want me. So I'm not. I, I, it doesn't upset me that they didn't want me to move in there. So he's moved into a place but down the peninsula that he's had." Ever since, in fact, he's got the various places all over that he's got. And, but Willie didn't. Willie ignored almost anything that anybody would said. He almost went up in the stands one time in the Coliseum, but he didn't. But that was the only time I ever saw him react to anything that was said to him, or any comparisons that were made. He didn't make a comparison. He just he was just happy to be doing what he was doing, and he played as hard as he could all the time. And he wasn't the one that set the figures about how great he was. He didn't even think the catch he made in the World Series was the greatest catch. Uh, but he—he he was he's not he's just the guy that doesn't doesn't pay any attention to what anybody says. He knows he's probably more secure in his skin than anybody I know. Because a lot of people they hear people say guys that around says, Man, I sure wish I were so-and-so. Willie Mays, I don't think, has ever said that in his life because he's happy with what he's done, what he did, the opportunities he had, and he overcame the things where people were going to make slurs at him. He didn't think they were uh, his problem at all. And he he thought that he just wanted to do the best he could to to, uh, uh, to make people like him that way, that's all. Nowadays, uh, major league teams are pretty good about teaching English to their uh, Spanish-speaking players. When you were broadcasting, that wasn't necessarily the case. How difficult was it when, when Marichal and Cepeda and people and the Alou brothers were coming up? Well, uh, it was difficult for them just as much as it was difficult for the other players. They didn't have a, a communication to them, but most all of them uh, uh Learned, uh, learned English, uh, uh, to speak and then, and got along fine with the players. But there was a time when, when, uh, a kid just came back from the Dominican or something and into minor league baseball that he isn't going to have, bring 
uh, uh, command of the English language with him. So consequently, they did have they did have problems with their communication. But basically, now uh, well, you see Japanese players come in that that don't speak English, now. and and uh, uh, so so there is there is a little problem there, but but it's not something that can't be overcome, and it was pretty well overcome in Major League Baseball because the percentage of Latin players in the Major League now is is incredible. Gaylord Perry told us that he was a better bad corker than he was football pitcher. Did he ever tell you that? Gaylord Perry, he said he used to cork the bats for a lot of his teammates. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, Gaylord's another good friend. And (laughs) and, uh, uh, the thing is that all the the other Hall of Famers that went in as being from San Francisco, have a statue at, at the, uh, the ballpark. Uh, and so I've talked with the Giants about, okay, well, what are, when are you going to get Gaylord? Because you've got to have, uh, he's got to be in there as well as those other ones. And so I, I hope, I hope they're planning it to have it and plan it to have it before he, he, uh, passes away or anything because he has been, he has done tremendous work for the Giants since he's been out of baseball. He's done more work for them than probably anybody else. And that Giants are very good at at uh, bringing players back and and hiring them for positions. But Gaylord has traveled uh, traveled to the West Coast from his home back east. He's traveled an awful lot uh, for the Giants. It goes to spring training every year, and uh, he. Entered the game as, as he started, entered the Hall of Fame as a giant. And, and let's face it, all the, there, there's, uh, of, of all the players that, that made the Hall of Fame from the, uh, from the, uh, Giants, the only one that finished his career with the Giants was McCovey. And he played for, uh, he played for San Diego and, and uh, was traded to A's at one time, but uh, all the other players, none of them finished their career with the, with the Giants. So, uh, despite the fact that Gaylord pitched for a lot of teams, he was in the Hall of Fame. He went wanted to be in the Hall of Fame as a San Francisco Giant, and well, that's the way it is. If they need corporate sponsorship for a statue, they can probably go to Vaseline and. Uh... Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I kidded, uh, I kidded, uh, Gaylord on the fact that, that, uh, uh, one time I said I asked him, uh, he got beat two to one. He got beat because of an error and said, how do you feel? And he said, well, I was so mad I could spit. <laughs> but, but he, he, uh, he, Used what he had, and and uh, and he. One thing about him is that he won what 314 games, I think it was, and he pitched 303 complete games. And You're never going to see that again. Marichal also completed more games, had more complete games than he had victories. He had 260 some. But, oh. but Perry went 303. 
complete game. He would be on the on the mountain. The the manager would come out to talk to him, and Perry would look at the bullpen and say, "Uh uh-uh, I've got more stuff than he's got." So the manager would walk away, and away he'd go. But he 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 wanted to complete what he started. I uh, had to take when I hear people say, "Well, the greatest hitter ever was." Well, uh, who knows that was the greatest hitter whoever it was. Uh, his, his, uh, his marks were different. Like, they broke his home run record. All of a sudden, people started hitting home runs, and, and they were going to break that record sooner or later. Hell, if they, if they hadn't, uh, if they hadn't uh, walked, uh, uh, bombs on purpose as many times as they did, he'd hit a whole hundred home runs that year. He hit 73. Yeah. That's, right. that's that's just the way it is, and and he and he would get see one pitch a game and hit a home run off it. You know, uh, it's it's amazing how how good he could hit, and uh, and how he could uh, and uh, you know people talk about steroids and everything else. Steroids might make you hit at four hundred ninety feet, but steroids are going to make you make connection all the time. I mean, so, even when he was with the Pirates, you just looked at him and he yeah. was a phenomenal ball player back then. Yeah. No, but he, he, uh, when he hit those 73 home runs, I forget how many times he was intentionally walked. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, so that's, that's incredible that, that when he, and he wouldn't chase pitches. I don't and the only time that I saw him uh, chase off-speed pitches or something was his last year or two uh, that I saw him go after. When I asked him, I said, are you worried about your bat speed? Are you trying to speed up? He said, well, I don't think so. But I think that's what it was, that he, he felt that he didn't have quite the bat speed, and so he was going to have to commit earlier, and something he didn't have to do before. But he uh, he could hit. There's no doubt about that. And no, you're right. the other guy, the other guy that I thought was going to break all the records in baseball was uh, with the uh, with the A's and and uh, uh, Ken Seiko. Well, I thought I thought he was going to break every record he made, but he didn't care. And and finally, he just he was. He was just going through the motions, and, and uh, he, he, he was ashamed to see a guy that had that much ability who just let it, just let it go by. And that wraps up another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guest, Lon Simmons, legendary San Francisco area broadcaster. Tune in again next time for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.